Well, now let me tell you about Rudolph. It all started a couple of years before the big snow. It was springtime, and Santa's lead reindeer, Donner, had just become a proud papa. Nah, we'll, we'll call him Rudolph. Rudolph is a lovely name. Rudolph. Hey, hey he knows his name already. Papa, Mama. He's, he's got a shiny nose. It's a, it's a shiny? I'd even say it glows. Wait a minute. I've got it. We'll hide Rudolph's nose. Hide it? Yeah. Come here, boy. You'll be a normal little buck just like everybody else, right? A chip off the old antlers. Now, now, you'll get used to it. Put it there, son. Oh, gee. And so time passes. Christmas comes and goes on schedule, and soon it is April. That's when all the new fawns come out with their folks to meet the other new fawns and to be inspected by Santa. Now, don't worry about your nose, son. Just get out there and do your stuff. Remember, you're my little bug. instructor, I want to be your pal, right? Right. My job is to make bucks out of you, so let's go. Now then, our first game is called Takeoff. He won't get to us for a while yet. Now's your chance to get acquainted with that dope. <laughs> nice day. Yep. For takeoff practice, I mean. Yep. I bet you'll be the best. Oh, I don't know. Something wrong with your nose. I mean, you talk kind of funny. What's so funny about the way I talk? Well, don't get angry. I don't mind. You don't? My name's Clarice. Hi. My name's Rudolph. Hi. Hi. Hey, uh, Clarice, hey, uh, after practice, would you, would you... Rudolph, you get back here. It's your turn, you know. Gee, I gotta go back. Would you want to go with me? Uh-huh, Rudolph. I think you're cute. I'm cute. I'm cute. Magnificent. I'm cute. I'm cute. She said I killed! Not bad! Not bad at all! <laughs> hey, you're okay! She said I'm cute! Ha ha! Come on! <laughs> well, as good everyone feels, this is no time for celebrating because the next day is Christmas Eve! The biggest day of the year! Papa, eat. How can I eat? 
That silly elf song is driving me crazy. You're going to disappoint the children. They expect a fat Santa. Latest weather report, sir. Well, this is it. The storm won't subside by tonight. We, we'll have to cancel Christmas. Papa, are you sure? Everything's grounded. Oh. oh, the poor kids. They've been so good this year, too. But I couldn't chance it. I'll have to tell everybody that it's all off this year. Quiet, quiet, please, everybody, quiet, quiet. I've got some bad news, folks. Christmas is going to be canceled. There's nothing I can do. This weather. Yeah. Rudolph, Rudolph, please, could you tone it down a bit? I mean, that nose of yours. I, that nose. Rudolph, with your nose so bright. Won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It will be an honor, sir. <laughs> I knew that nose would be useful someday. I knew it all along. Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. I don't know if there'll be snow, but have a cup of cheer. Have a holly jolly Christmas, and when you walk down the street, Merry say hello, Christmas. And Merry I mean, it's a classic, is it not? Unbelievable. Rudolph. Rudolph, I mean, that, that, that reindeer outcast, outcast and shunned because of the very physical feature, that very shiny nose that, that was so distinguishing, made him an outcast, but ultimately turned that target of intolerance into the toast of the North Pole when he rescued Christmas by his very shiny, shiny nose. It's, it's an amazing, and isn't that amazing technology in the animation there? That Christmas movie first aired in 1964. How many of you were alive in 1964? Let me just say, I, I missed it by two years. I was almost there. 1964. Now, I, I want to be very, very clear at the beginning of this sermon that Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is not a Christian allegory. As a matter of fact, it's not even remotely a spiritual parable. As a matter of fact, the story of Rudolph first appeared in the year 1939. In 1939, an in-house copywriter from Montgomery Ward was tasked with the job of creating a pamphlet and a booklet that they could hand out to Montgomery Ward shoppers to lure more people into the store. That year, in 1939, they passed out 2.4 million copies of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the story, the, the epic poem, if you will. I'm just curious, too. It, let's date even a little bit more. How many of you ever shopped or walked into a Montgomery Ward store at any point in your life? 
fascinating. How many of you have never heard of Montgomery Ward? Let me see a show of hands. Is this great, the diversity of the body of Christ, multi-generations coming together? I remember Montgomery Ward from when I was a really little kid. My, my grandfather, Big Mac, used to call it monkey wards. And we would go in there to look for tools and stuff for him to put in his shop. But, but Montgomery Ward in 1939 was the second largest retailer in the United States behind only Sears and Roebuck. Now, that's just a little... Rudolph trivia for you, but it wasn't until 1949 that Rudolph really took off. In 1949, America had come through World War II. They were back into celebrating the Christmas holidays, and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer by then had been turned into a song by the brother-in-law of the copywriter who wrote the original booklet. He pitched this song to two stars of the day, Bing Crosby and Doris Day, both of whom passed on recording Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer until the singing cowboy, Tex Ritter, from Texas, by the way, recorded it, and it became the second biggest-selling single of all time until the 1980s, second only behind a little ditty by the name of White Christmas. But Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer captured the imagination of children and adults alike. And then when the special came out in 1964, that was titanic technology back in 1964, believe it or not. But even since then, we still rally around our televisions every year for that specific special. How many of you watched it last night when it was on CBS TV? Three of us. Okay, very good. (laughs) But here's what's amazing. I I, I selected Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer for this first installment of a Christmas version of At the Movies, specifically because of the technology. Specifically because I remember as a kid, right after Thanksgiving, watching for the commercials that would indicate and remind us that the Rudolph special was coming back on the air this year. And, And almost without fail, my brothers and I would gather and watch it on one of the six television channels available to us. But then I kind of matured. I got into middle school. I got into high school. And to be honest with you, I thought Rudolph was not cool. I got into Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Eddie Murphy. I moved, I was beyond Rudolph at that point in my life. But a funny thing happened. I grew up, Julie and I got married, had a couple of kids of our own, and before you knew it, Emily and Joseph were old enough to enjoy the spectacle of Christmas. And I remember when they were old enough, finally, and we saw a commercial for Rudolph on one of the 8,000 channels available to us. And and we gathered our kids around it, and all of a sudden, Rudolph was no longer uncool. All of a sudden, I was watching Rudolph through brand new eyes. I was watching Rudolph through the eyes of the next generation, and I sat spellbound yet again. And I tell you that story because I think it is indicative of a spiritual dynamic that we all go through. I I think for all of us who go by the name of 
Christ follower, a, a Christian, there's this initial burst of enthusiasm and passion when we first come to understand the gospel, when, when we make an intellectual recognition that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that anybody who believes in him will never die but will have eternal life that begins right here and right now. And, and when we understand that intellectually and then we appropriate it personally, man, we are on fire. We can't wait to go to church and get there on time. Eight of us. And, and that, that passion is so real and it's so fresh and the enthusiasm is so new. But, but you and I both know, if you've been around any amount of time at all, that, that the passion fades, right? I mean, you, you can't stay on the honeymoon forever, right? And as the passion fades and the enthusiasm wanes, a lot of times it, the gospel can become familiar to us. It can become rote. And we know that it's still true and we, we're still grateful for it, but, but the, the, the enthusiasm and the energy that we felt early on it's not always there. But I wonder during this Christmas season, what if, what if we, we could cultivate something beyond a juvenile spiritual passion? What if we could, what if we could move beyond and, and build something in our lives of a, of a mature, of a, a committed passion? Something to kind of realize, you know what, this is bigger than just the fads and fashions that fade, that, that this, is, this is more than just a, just a passing fancy, but, but it's really and truly something that can propel every single part of our lives. What if we move beyond the familiar and got into, and got into the, the intimate? What, what if we move beyond just the, the old repetition and we, we got into something new as we started to look at the same gospel, the same Christmas story, the same Christmas reality through new eyes. And I think that's, that's our opportunity during this Christmas season is to not look back and let that familiarity breed contempt necessarily, but, but to move beyond the complacency that familiarity can breed sometimes. Because a lot of us, we, we've been around a while. I, I mean, if you grew up going to church, or, or you grew up making church something that happened at Christmas and Easter, you're used to the story. You, you know about the shepherds and Mary and Joseph and, and the wise men. And, and unless we're really, really careful, unless we're incredibly intentional and deliberate then, then we, can, we can let that just kind of become repetitive like Rudolph. We, we, can, we can just let it become a, another story. And, oh, yeah, the, the shepherds. I remember the shepherds. Sure. You know, they were out on the hills tending their flocks at night. Go tell it on the mount. And, and yeah, I, yeah, I love that. I'm familiar with it. But, but what if? What if instead we really and truly pulled back and, and, and said, God, what would you have me do with this old story in a new way? Not, not just, I wonder what the church is going to do this year. Hope the preacher comes up with a good angle. 
You know, one of the great challenges, you can be praying for me. Christmas Eve is the hardest sermon of the year. You know why? Everybody walks in the door and they already know the punchline. They already know where we're going. But every year we walk in, we walk out. But what if this year we walk in differently with new eyes? I want you to look at your neighbor with passion and enthusiasm. Tell them, get you some new eyes. New eyes are what I believe God wants to teach us through Rudolph today. Because the story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer reminds us that an old story becomes new when we share it with someone who's never heard it before. An old story becomes new when we share it with somebody who's never heard it before. I I loved what what Tiffany and Kaylee said earlier in our service about an invitation card. You know, we, we pass these out. On... You're the best. Thank you. Little motor skills problem on the part of the pastor. Thank you very much. We pass these out all the time. And I know that some of you look at that and go, yeah, it's a it's cool. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. Just, just keep it moving. But don't forget what Tiffany shared with us today. Remember the the story about a woman who came to our services last year because somebody stepped outside of their comfort zone, outside of the familiar, and said, hey, come experience Christmas with our church. And she experienced Christmas not just with our church, but she became part of the church. She stepped into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ because somebody, somebody took the time to just share with her an old story that she wasn't familiar with yet. So, you go, man, Christmas EP, it's getting picked up on the radio now. You can get it on iTunes, Spotify. It's about telling an old story a new way with people who don't yet know it. And you and I are surrounded by people who don't yet know No, the extravagance of the love of God perfectly captured in Christmas. And so we've got a choice to make. Are we going to be too cool for school or are we going to look at an old story with new eyes? New eyes that we reach out to and share with them an invitation to encounter the Christ of Christmas. And I want to just ask you a question. Remember I told you that when I was in in like middle school and high school, I I was too cool for Rudolph? And and by the way, if you're too cool for Rudolph, that's a problem. You're you're too cool by half. Which one? I'm not kidding. That's not funny. I mean that. Who is more mature? The person who shares the old story and looks at it with new eyes or the person who's too cool for the old story? The, the, who's more genuinely mature, deep? Isn't it the person who shares it with the next generation, however old the next generation is? If you want to be a mature follower of Christ, reproduce. That, that's how you denote maturity. Maturity. Real maturity spiritually 
is found in the lives of people who pray for their friends and their family and their neighbors and their coworkers and the people they do burpees with by name in order to see them come into a relationship with Christ. They pray for those friends of theirs that they're going to share this old story with. And because they're sharing it with new friends, they're looking at it with new eyes. People who share the story of Christmas never, ever get bored with church. They never, ever get bored with Christmas. They never, ever look at it and go, there are too many lights. No. They understand the difference that Jesus Christ can make in a person's life. Now, the Christmas story, if we're not careful, can be kind of like Rudolph. It, it can become so familiar to us that it's just, it's just part of what we do this time of year. You know, every year when Austin gets its snow. How about the snow this week? Was that an awesome deal? That was so cool. At the time, we had more snow than New York City had seen this year. They've since passed us, but that's not the point. Even though we've survived Snowpocalypse 2017, <laughs> there's more Christmas to come. There's more opportunity to share with somebody you know who doesn't yet know what Christmas really means. In Luke chapter 2, the Bible records for us the birth of Christ and the, the circumstances surrounding the birth of Christ. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and open to Luke chapter 2. And, and as you're opening there, I want to just kind of help set some, some context of these circumstances. Of course, we know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Oh, little town of... Very nice. But, but what we forget a lot of times is that Bethlehem was just a really a Palestinian forgotten backwater of that day. It, it, Bethlehem was just kind of a, a wide spot on the road. Now, it, it was known far and wide as the hometown of King David. King David had lived a thousand years before Jesus was born. And there wasn't much else that had happened in Bethlehem since then. You know, on the Bethlehem water tower, it said, home of King David. That, that was about it. And, and we know, of course, that Mary and Joseph had returned to Bethlehem to be counted under the Roman census. And they, they went back to Bethlehem because Joseph traced his family tree all the way back to King David and beyond. And so they were in Bethlehem for this census when the time came for Mary to deliver her son. And... Mary, nine months pregnant, had made this journey from Nazareth, which wasn't much more than Bethlehem, made this journey, and they'd gotten there, and because of the census, the town had, had swelled beyond its normal size. They, they didn't have enough hotel rooms, and so Mary and Joseph took up residence, and she delivered her son there in the back of a borrowed barn, and is, is incredibly simple circumstances. Now, Jesus, of course, was born before gender reveal parties or, you know, baby moon trips that the couple would take. He, he was just born to a, a common carpenter and his soon-to-be wife, who had become supernaturally pregnant by the Holy Spirit of God. But when, when 
the Savior of the world is born, when the anointed, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one comes into the world, that that deserves a birth announcement like no other. And it's there in Luke chapter 2 that the Bible records the birth announcement of Jesus, an angel, an angel, which just means a messenger from God, appeared to some shepherds outside of Bethlehem. Outside of Bethlehem is kind of an ironic term because you, you take about three steps and you're outside of Bethlehem. And as you can imagine, the Bible says that these shepherds, when approached and they encountered a messenger from God, they were terrified. But look at the first words of this messenger, this angel from God. The angel said to them in verse 10, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now let me, let me give you just a little bit of, of word background, okay? Because that word Christ is really, really important in this context. It's really important in every context, but especially here. The word Christ it comes from the Greek word Christos, which means anointed, the anointed of God. That, that means that this is the one who has been chosen, anointed by God. It's, it's the same word that we get Messiah. Messiah also means the anointed one. So this is telling these shepherds, these Jewish shepherds on the hills outside of Bethlehem, the one that you've been praying for, the one that has been foretold and prophesied for centuries is now here. And this is good news of great joy for everybody, for everybody to receive. And the shepherds, you, can't you just picture, I mean, I want you to picture the, these common shepherds just just. Tending their flocks, it's nighttime. They did it every single day, every single night. And, and there had to have been something in them. This was not royalty. They, they were not diplomats of any note whatsoever. There had to have been something inside of them that was saying, why are you telling us this? But I think... The clue as to why the shepherds were told this is revealed in the next few verses. Look at what it says here. Now when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And so they came in a hurry and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. They, they went to Bethlehem in a hurry. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like that youthful exuberance, doesn't it? It, it sounds like that, that initial excitement, like, whoa, this is, this is big. We've we got to go. We've we got to check it out. We've got to find out. We've got to see what happened. We've got to run faster than Mac Richard will in 2,000 years. We've got to get there. And so they went in a hurry. You know, a lot of us, when we come to know Christ personally, and we realize what he did for us, and we realize what he's forgiven us of, 
We, we remember the stuff in our past, the junk in our trunk. Man, we, we come to the cross in a hurry. We're like, color me there. Thank you very much. I'll take it. It's what the shepherds did. They went to Bethlehem in a hurry. And they, they, they went to embrace the Christ child. And there they found Mary. They found Joseph. But most important of all, they found the baby lying in the manger. If you look for Jesus, you'll find him. He is available and accessible today. But don't wait. Matter of fact, I, I would encourage you and challenge you, don't, don't hesitate. You run and, and investigate. This thing that has been told to you, check it out. Do the legwork. So many people that I talk to who, who kind of keep God at arm's length and, and are like, nah, I don't know, or like, no. They, they haven't done the legwork. They haven't checked it out personally. They've just decided they don't want to surrender to anybody or anything, and so they continue to stiff arm Jesus. Man, run to Jesus. Check him out. This same Jesus born 2,000 years ago, is available and accessible today. But, but for those of us who have checked him out and, and embraced him and appropriated the gospel, everything else is preamble to what happens next. Everything else is, a, is an introduction and a setup for what the Bible tells us the shepherds did next. Check this out in verse 17. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. When they saw Jesus, when they encountered him and, and realized the reality of Jesus, they went and told the people that they knew what had been told to them. What had been told to them? What had been told to them was, hey, I bring you good news which will be great joy to anyone who takes it for their own. For to you is born a Savior which is Christ the Lord. To you, to you, to, to everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. For, for God so loved the world now, that, that's, that's a fact, and that's a truth. But, but the world leaves it on an intellectual plane. The, the world, in quotation marks, doesn't completely capture the significance of the gospel. In, in order to do that, you, you, have to, you have to take your name and plug it in there. For God so loved me. For, for God so loved you that he gave his only son. And, and man, we, at Christmas time, we love that, that picture of, of the baby in the manger. The, the, the mother and child. I mean, it, you, you've, seen, you've seen the nativity sets, right? How many of you have your nativity set out right now? 
there, there, it's, it's always amazing to me the, the, the faces on nativity sets. Mary and Joseph. The shepherds. I've been in a delivery room. I, I, I was there. Julie's face was not. My face. But that's okay. It's Christmas. But you can't have the manger without the cross. It's it's the cross. It's the cross that makes the manger matter. Because this this same child that was given to, to me, to you, grew up to give himself. We, we just got back from, from Israel. We had, we had a group of people from our church, had an amazing trip. And part of our trip was there in Jerusalem in the Garden of Gethsemane. Garden of Gethsemane, we, we know, was where Jesus prayed to not have to go through the cross. Father, not my will, but thy will be done. But the word Gethsemane, it is really interesting. It means the olive press. It's there on the Mount of Olives. And even in Jesus' day, olive oil was a, was a significant industry. And so they would, they would take the olives after they had harvested them and, and they'd press them. And the first press of olives is just kind of it's just kind of common. But then there, there's another press of that oil and that that starts to get into kind of the good stuff and you get a lot of the the skin and the and the the detritus you you get that out of there and it's filtered out but but man there's a third press of olives that that's where you know as giada calls it the evoo comes from the extra virgin olive oil that's 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 the good stuff that that's what you cook with but the good stuff comes from yet another pressing. And, it, and it's, 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 it's actually a crushing that happens to the olive. And it's not unlike what Jesus himself experienced there in the garden of the olive press. Because remember when the, when the Bible says that Jesus prayed, not my will but thy will be done, it, it tells us that Jesus, he, he was so overcome with anguish of what awaited him, not only physically but spiritually as well, knowing that when he took on my sin and your sin, he would be separated from God the Father. He would be ultimately alone, which is the greatest definition of hell that there is, isolated, cut off. And realizing this, the Bible says that, that Jesus perspired 
drops of blood. And it's important to know that this is not just a poetic image that the Bible uses to describe his anguish in the moment. It's, it's an actual physical condition. Our sweat glands are sur- surrounded by little capillaries of blood, and, and stress and anguish can cause those capillaries to burst and the sweat glands to secrete not only the sweat, but also actual drops of blood. It's called hematidrosis. And so this, this baby in the manger grew up to be the man on the cross. And he was the man on the cross given to us who gave himself for us. You see, it's because of the cross that the manger matters. And when you understand that, you see the people in your world differently. You see the people in your sphere of influence. You go, she doesn't yet know. She she doesn't know. Or, man, my my dad who's who's coming for Christmas, he he doesn't yet know. That, that guy that I work with, be honest, is kind of a jerk. But, but he doesn't yet know. He doesn't know. And then you go, oh, wait, I know. I, I know. I know what I've been saved from. I, I know what, what I've been forgiven for. And all of a sudden you see an old story through new eyes, and you you realize, I got to tell the story. I, I got to I got to share this with somebody who doesn't yet know. So all of a sudden, these, these little cards—that's just not a little trinket that our church hands out. This becomes a piece of paper with eternal significance in the lives of the people we know who don't yet know the extravagance of God's love. And all of a sudden, you, you, you see this old story through new eyes. This is who we are, and this is what we do. I hope that for the rest of your earthly life, you enjoy Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. <laughs> and I pray that you never see it the same way again. That every time you think about that shiny red nose, saving Christmas... You think about how God might use you to save Christmas for somebody you know. To save, to save not only Christmas, but to save their lives. To show them that, that they can have eternal life beginning right here and right now. Because this is what we've been called to. This is what we are commissioned to do. And it's not just preachers. It's not just people on staff. It's anybody who goes by the name of Christ follower. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want to just ask you a question. It's a personal question.
It's a direct question. Have you been saved? Have you personally appropriated what Christ did for you on the cross as your own? And and the great thing about this question is, is ultimately it's between you and God. It has nothing to do with what your mom and dad did or didn't do where you grew up, how you grew up, or, or even where you've been this past week. It's just a really straightforward yes or no. It's binary. It's a zero or a one, yes or no. If for you the answer is no, that we would love to give you the opportunity to step into a yes to Jesus, a yes to a relationship with Christ. You don't have to pass a test. You don't have to preach a sermon. You just have to give your life to him. It's a surrender completely to the only one who could never take advantage of it but will redeem and fulfill that surrender to the ultimate victory you could ever know. If you want to step into that relationship with Christ, then we invite you to pray right where you're sitting. Just just talk to God right where you are right now. Just say, Jesus, just silently say, just talk to him. He, He knows your heart. He's perfect. Just silently say, Jesus, I need you. And I confess my sin and I claim your forgiveness. And I surrender every part of my life to you. Because I trust you. And I will follow you from this moment forward with everything I've got. Lord, I pray this prayer in your name. Now for just a moment, if you would remain with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. If that was your prayer, then you need to understand this is the greatest moment of your life. It's a once and for all moment. You don't have to pray it again to make sure that it took. You just get to now begin living in that relationship, growing in that relationship. Helping other people to experience it. And as a church, we want to help you. We want to come alongside you as a family of faith. And so I want to ask you just to do a couple of things around the most important moment of your life. First of all, if you will, just right now, take your program out. If that was your prayer, just take the program out and begin filling out the info card that's inside there. As you fill that out, you'll notice about halfway down, there's a place to indicate, I committed my life to Christ this week. 
And if you'll fill that card out, tear it off at the perforation and hand it to one of our ushers before you leave, then that'll begin a process where we just kind of come alongside and, and help at whatever pace works for you to take the next step. Don't leave this moment in the seat with you. Carry it with you. And as a church, we want to help. Second of all, as our heads are bowed for just another moment, if that was your prayer, would you just raise your hand up high over your head? Just lift your hand up and hold it up there for a moment to stamp this moment in your life and in the life of this church. Because for us, this is the reason we exist. We're here to grow the community of Christ one life at a time. And so as a church, as a family, we honor that. We celebrate it with you. As you put your hands down, we put our hands together just to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.